Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash mission log. Use our link to get three extra months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash mission log. This episode is also sponsored by Collide. Collide enables cross-platform fleet visibility for your Linux, Mac, and Windows devices. You can try Collide with all its features on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days. No credit card required. Try it out at collide.com slash mission log. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 448, Cathexis. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we take a look at each and every episode of Star Trek, hoping to find the morals, meanings, and messages contained therein, if any, even when we look really hard for them and see if they withstand the test of time. This week, Cathexis. The one where Chakotay sits this one out as the crew is under siege by a race of disembodied aliens from a dark matter nebula. Maybe they were protecting their coffee stash? Who knows? We'll get back to Cathexis in a moment, right after I let you know how to stay in touch with us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, Leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now here's John Champion with this week's possession trivia. This week's trivia. Thank you, Norman, or whoever's inside your head. Trivia for this week's episode, Cathexis. Uh, we have a story by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski. We expect to see Brandon's name here, of course. And Joe is someone who has a long history with Trek, going back to that group of new writers who came into TNG about midway through the series. He collaborated with Brandon a good deal, as well as with Michael Piller and Ronald D. Moore. By this time in production on Voyager, Joe was living in Paris, which he did for a few years, and uh, was also getting a credit on DS9 for the season three episode, Distant Voices. Now, we will see a great deal more of Joe's name on Voyager as we go forward. 
The teleplay is credited to Brandon Braga, and here is where Brandon fully admits that he wasn't really confident in finding the story on this outing. Uh, Michael Piller also had a hand trying to ratchet up the feelings of paranoia among the crew while Brandon was trying to make sense of the alien plot. It was directed by Kim Friedman, and we recently covered Kim's first Voyager episode with Parallels. You may remember that she directed six episodes of DS9, and that was early in her transition from directing mostly sitcoms. Let's not forget about a nice long run on the love boat over to sci-fi. You'll find uh, Trek and Babylon 5 later in her directing resume. Uh, But with many aspects of production, Kim's credit isn't actually the whole story here. The opening sequence with Captain Janeway on the holodeck was directed by an uncredited Wienrich Kolbe, and uh, he actually shot that scene for its intended use in the episode Eye of the Needle, but it was decided to save it, and they reworked the opening of Eye of the Needle. One other thing about Janeway's time on the holodeck, Jerry Taylor came up with the setting. It was originally intended that Janeway's novel of choice would be something of the same time period, but out on the American prairie, putting in the hard work to live a life unattached from the conveniences of home. Uh, Thematically sounds appropriate, right? It was pretty quickly decided, in part because of Kate Mulgrew's wish to not work with horses, that something that could be contained on a set would be easier to work around if and when they revisited her novel. We do need to examine very briefly the title of the episode here up front. In case you're not familiar with the term, cathexis is, according to dictionary.com, the concentration of mental energy on one particular person, idea, or object, especially to an unhealthy degree. You know, John, I also looked up a second definition of cathexis. Ooh, yeah, uh, what is that? Mm-hmm. And I do believe, if I have the translation correct from the Latin, it is Robert Veltran is on vacation. Ooh, so, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's, yeah, that, good to know. Good, yeah. good insight there. All right, let's meet our guest cast. We have just a handful, one in real life and two on the holodeck. On the Voyager crew, we meet Lieutenant Durst, played by Brian Markinson. Talk about a that guy. Brian has been working pretty much nonstop since the early 90s, and not just in the odd guest star role from time to time. His credits are full of recurring characters and some major shows like Mad Men, The L Word, Angels in America, and many, many more. That doesn't even get into his many genre credits, like his role on Battlestar Galactica's prequel Caprica, and then the TV movie Blood and Chrome. And that is also not even to mention his multiple Star Trek credits. We first saw Brian on TNG in the episode Homeward, and he came back on DS9 in the episode In the Cards. This is the first of his two Voyager appearances, and we won't have to wait long. He's in the next episode. On the holodeck, Janeway meets the caretaker of Lord Burley's estate. That would be the stern Mrs. Templeton, played by Carolyn Seymour. And there is a name and a face that should be familiar the deeper we get into 90s Star Trek. Carolyn first appeared as a Romulan in the TNG Season 2 episode Contagion, then came back to play Marasta Yale in First Contact, then as a Romulan once again in Face of the Enemy. This is the first of her two appearances on Voyager. You can catch her as a guest on Babylon 5 as well. And in more recent years, she has provided just a huge number of voice performances in the gaming world, no fewer than eight Star Wars titles alone. 
And then her boss, Lord Burley himself, is played by Michael Kumpstey. And keeping with the theme for the character, Michael is an English-born actor who easily transitions from stage to screen in his long career. His first TV credits pop up in the late 80s, and very quickly he landed a recurring role on L.A. Law. Later on, he found another recurring role on Boardwalk Empire and more recently on Severance. Feature films also play a large part of his work. Michael was in Eat, Pray, Love. He was in the Wall Street sequel Money Never Sleeps, and he was in Flags of Our Fathers. This is the first of his two Star Trek appearances. Are you worn down? Feel like your neural energy has been drained and there's a cameraman breathing down your neck? Boy, have we got a story for you. Prologue. Even the captain needs a little distraction from time to time, and she's found her new holo novel to be quite engaging. However, in the midst of trading barbs with housekeeper Templeton and being warned away from the mansion's fourth floor by Lord Burley himself... Janeway's R&R is cut short by Harry Kim. His long-range sensors have detected Chakotay's and Tuvok's shuttle, which has sustained damage with two faint life signs on board. Janeway orders those signatures to be beamed directly to sickbay. Upon her arrival, Janeway sees Chakotay being treated by the doctor who has grim news. Chakotay is brain dead, and all of his bioneural energy has been drained away. Act 1. Tuvok recounts that both he and Chakotay completed their trade mission with the Illidarians and were returning to Voyager, but took a side quest to scan a nearby dark matter nebula. Shortly after, they were attacked by an unknown vessel. Chakotay was knocked out first, but Tuvok was able to set the autopilot before he lost consciousness. Janeway believes that the answers she needs are in the nebula and orders Tom to set a course. Insert your favorite Janeway coffee meme here. In sickbay, Balana adorns Chakotay's biobed area with his cultural medicine wheel, a kind of spiritual healing map for which she promised Chakotay she would honor him if anything were to happen. The doctor surprises Balana with his expertise with the medicine wheel, to which the doctor simply states that he is fluent in all forms of healing, even those written on animal remains. However, he manages her expectations with the reality of how very little brain energy he has to work with in order to revive Chakotay. In her quarters, Kess senses a strange presence, which alarms her enough to tell Neelix, who honestly seems more interested in the food he was burning. Back on the bridge, Lieutenant New Guy informs the captain that warp engines are fine, but a shift in propulsion says otherwise, as Voyager changes course away from the nebula as Harry's controls are locked out. Act 2. Inspector Tuvok traces the lockout to Deck 12, Section B, which is navigational control. Balana states that she saw Tom earlier that day, but Tom maintains his innocence, stating that the fault isn't his bag, baby. Janeway orders him to sickbay for a full checkup, especially of his memory, and after being thoroughly scanned and cleared for duty, Tom tells Tuvok once again that the fault's not his bag, baby, to which Tuvok presents Tom with one residual trace of Tom Paris's DNA found on the navigational console control. Tom wonders if it is his bag, baby. On the bridge, Tuvok believes he's found a way to track his attackers back to the Dark Matter Nebula using their ion trail. Just then, Voyager loses main power because Balana shut down the warp core, which shut down the main computer, which Balana has no recollection of doing. 
Like Tom earlier, Belana is scanned, and the doctor discovers similar memory engrams that he believes were the moments where Tom and Belana blacked out. The doctor also adds that this can happen to anyone with a bioneural signature, except, of course, for him, because hologram. Janeway takes the only logical course of action and transfers her command codes to the doctor. What could go wrong? Afterwards, Kess believes that she still feels an alien presence on the ship, and both she and Tuvok team up to boost her telepathic abilities through a mind meld. However, moments later, Harry and Lieutenant New Guy find Tuvok and Kess unconscious on the floor of a turbo lift. Act 3. Trying to figure out what is happening on board Voyager, especially what just happened to Tuvok and Kess, Tom and Bellana believe that a shipwide burst from the onboard magneton scanner should provide the answers they seek. What do you think, Harry? Um, Harry? Either he's possessed, or he's daydreaming in the middle of a crisis meeting. You see, Timmy, that's how paranoia spreads in the workplace, and Janeway won't have any of it. Prepare the shipwide magneton scan. Meanwhile, in sickbay, as Neelix's paranoia is breathing down the doctor's holographic neck, he discovers that Kess's neck and shoulder injuries are more indicative of a Vulcan neck pinch rather than an energy discharge like the one that supposedly incapacitated Tuvok and Kess in the turbo lift. In the captain's ready room, Tuvok informs Janeway that the magneton pulse will be ready in two hours, causing massive dizziness and disorientation throughout the ship. He also informs her about the specifics of Kess's injuries, which Janeway tries to confirm, but the doctor is offline, as in disabled as in the command codes reverted back to Janeway as a result, meaning the alien knows what they tried to do to keep the ship from being taken over. As the alien being watches the paranoia unfold across the bridge, Janeway is about to divide her codes with Tuvok. The alien possesses her and moves its way through several bridge officers until Tuvok does one of the coolest phaser tricks ever and stuns the entire bridge crew with the push of a button. Act 4. After Tuvok's epic phaser beatdown of the entire bridge crew, Tom gets everyone shipshape as acting healer because the doctor is still offline. Harry's working on that while Bellana informs Janeway that Tuvok's and Chakotay's shuttle sensor logs weren't destroyed. They were intentionally erased and then made to look like the energy discharge from the Dark Matter Nebula was the cause. And since Tuvok is now suspect, Janeway transfers the magneton pulse controls to the bridge once they're ready. As Janeway and Tuvok return to tracking his assailant's ion trail, Tom returns to the bridge to inform them that Kess's injuries, according to the doctor's data, are consistent with a Vulcan neck pinch. Tuvok has no idea or recollection of this supposed assault on Kess, nor any logical conclusion as to why the alien entity seems to be more focused on him than anyone else on the ship. Vulcan explaining it that it must be paranoia on the captain's part, Tuvok tries to redirect the suspicion back onto Janeway, but the bridge crew stands fast with the captain. No matter, because if you remember the Tuvok maneuver from earlier that only stunned the bridge crew, well, he's upgraded that move to kill. Act 5. As the bridge crew is corralled and under the threat of Tuvok's pointed phaser, Harry sees from a secondary panel that there are in fact lifeform energies in the nebula, suggesting that there are more aliens, like the one that is in control of Tuvok, who introduces them as the Komar, of who reside in the nebula. Meanwhile, in engineering, Bellana falls under the influence as well and ejects the warp core. 
But on the bridge, Janeway pieces together that even if Balana were possessed, she doesn't have the command codes to eject the warp core. The computer confirms that Balana used Commander Chakotay's codes, meaning that his energy is in range of Voyager once they return to the Dark Matter Nebula. Komar Tuvok admits that the Komar want to feed off the bioneural energies of Voyager's crew, which would sustain them for years. Janeway tries to negotiate with Komar Tuvok and stalls him just long enough for her to reach her console and activate the magneton pulse controls, rendering most of the bridge crew and Tuvok harmless. The Komar possessing Tuvok's body flees through a bulkhead and returns back to the nebula. And using Tuvok's navigational logs, Tom and Harry pilot their way back to safety and far away from the Dark Matter Nebula as possible. Finally, back in sickbay, the Doctor has reintegrated Chakotay's consciousness in a series of technical feats which impressed even the Doctor himself. As Janeway looks down at Chakotay in his medical bed, she places her hands on his chest as he stares deeply into her eyes to describe to her what it meant to feel separated from his body, but not necessarily separated from Voyager. The End Nicely done, Norman. That recap is totally my bag. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. One recap with John Champion's signature <laughs> on it, signed and approved by John Champion. Judge, judge yes, yes. All right. <laughs> hey, look, I, I, I got to say, man, I am so happy that we are starting off with a brand new holodeck adventure that ties directly into the story by... I, I'm sorry, what, what's that? It's completely irrelevant? Okay, uh, never mind. We'll, we'll, we'll just have to come back to oh, that. Oh, Worthering Irrelevance. Yeah. Oh, mm. yes, yeah. <laughs> truly. <laughs> That's one of my favorites in school, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, look, I it, one minor, and th- this is just being so nitpicky that I probably shouldn't do it, but do it. it's our show, Pick so it. I will. Yeah, okay, I get the conceit of Star Trek being so far in the future uh from you know the 19th century based on our perspective that it is much older to them than it is to us but would they call it ancient i i mean so we call the middle ages the middle <laughs> ages we call the ancient world the ancient world i don't know if three or four hundred years from now we would call the 19th century ancient england right. like you know? we just came off of heroes and demons yeah. where they were talking about ancient denmark that totally counts you know yeah yeah that's that's kind of like the most ancient of ancient kind of like not england but the middle ages we're like what in the 19th century yeah it's like middle of the 19th century 1840s 1850s around there that's not ancient i mean come on i i get that that is much closer to an audience in the 1990s than it would be to a person experiencing that in the 24th late 24th century but come on come on the ancient yeah. 2000s mm. it's a, yes. it's a little it's a little too on the yeah. nose yeah you know i i do you know i i don't know if these are things that necessarily come up in the um in the discussion i i i like that the more we get into voyage over time i'm sure that we will continue to talk about janeway as this mother figure for the crew um but let me ask you this would she really want a holodeck story in which she is the governess in a household in the 19th century? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, you know, hey, John, you have a holodeck and you can live out any fantasy you could possibly want or be anything that you could possibly dream of. Cool. I want to be a struggling radio personality in the 1940s. Oh, that was your that was your <laughs> novel too? 
That was my oh, dude. Oh, no wonder I couldn't get one hollow novel that. stolen okay. from Norm Lau's ideas, signed <laughs> by John Champion. Signed by John. That's Champion. his bag, baby. <laughs> that is my bag. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and uh, now why does Voyager keep having these long distance trade missions where they send a couple of people off in a shuttle? Let me let me just say, and I'm, I'm sure that this will come up again. But if I could just put a stamp on that right now and just say no. Mm. Don't don't do that because we've already had now I get it that in ex post facto that Voyager is staying away because there is a war going on. Yeah, you can kind of wave your hands and say that that that's why they had to be away. But honestly, look, the premise of this entire series is that you're all in this together and the only appropriate direction for Voyager to fly is toward home. True. Now, I, I, I understand. I, I understand that you may need to make a stop. You, you may need to get supplies. There are things you need to explore. But you do it together. You, you all do that together. Because what's happening now, the shuttle has, like, gone a different direction. Voyager, again, its mission is to just keep flying home. So then the shuttle has to, like, turn around and really hit the gas on the warp to even meet up with Voyager again. That it... It doesn't I, – I really don't like this as a premise where just like, oh, the shuttle was gone for days and days, <laughs> and it just shows up with a near-dead crewman on board. Uh, side quests, yeah. man. Side quests will get you killed nine times out of ten. Yeah, exactly. You know? Stick together. You stick together in Voyager. You stick together in horror movies, too. That's how people get killed is they don't stick together. That's the rule. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing with – uh, Cass slapping the cardio stimulator right in the doctor's hands when he says cardio stimulator. Uh, yeah, it was a little oh, soap opera yeah. for me. Yeah, you know? yeah, uh huh. But you know, yeah. I, I guess that's just part of the charm of the show. Yeah. So here's something that um, now everyone's going to see because thanks okay. to Shar, our friend of the show, you know, and and my yeah. close friend, she told yeah. me when we were watching this together when I was out there in in uh, Los Angeles that there is a new thing that Janeway's doing in maybe the next series of episodes where during the ad break it's the mm-hmm. it's the close-up zoom to wide-eyed and bewildered Janeway right before the fade. Oh, oh, I'm going to keep right. an eye out. So for that. we have a new home okay. game, John. Yeah. <laughs> right. Someone out there keeps cool. Going. Okay, yeah. I dig. Mm-hmm. I dig. I like this idea. I, I gotta say, I love the EMH's response to the medicine wheel mm-hmm. being, being the, his very the very first time because it, it was played well. It, it, it was immediately dismissive, or at least you, as the audience, you're supposed to go like, "Oh, he's just being dismissive because it's not his technology." But then there was the real response to that, which is he's knowledgeable, mm-hmm. but he's also being pragmatic, right? And I thought, you know, for for a guy who has kind of a prickly bedside manner, that was actually handled pretty well. Yeah, I, I liked the yeah. kind of like the the subversion of, you know, being dismissive, and then all of a sudden, you know, you don't mm-hmm. want to put him next to the antelope women, do you? No, yeah, right. right. You know, that's going <laughs> right. to make him you right. know, delay his. Yeah, it was it was it was smart. Yeah. I, I thought that Picardo's timing on that was really really well done. Are we supposed to indicate anything else out of Bolana and Chakoti's relationship? Up until now, I mean, I mean, does, do they have a lot of downtime during their time in the Maquis? Because, you know, we already have the reveal that with his medicine ball, 
he had shown that to her. They had gone through that before, and she's gone through this before with the wheel. Like there's just there's a lot, and she definitely seems emotionally invested in his outcome. I'm not saying there's you know more to it, but I'm just curious. I know, wonder if Seska knew about would, the medicine wheel. Oh, like being intimate. because they definitely had a little uh, closeness. Yeah. yeah, but you're right. Mm-hmm. I maybe it, there will be more uh, in in later episodes. Mm-hmm. So. That would be kind of neat yeah. to, to see. Uh, okay, so the whole thing with Kess and feeling the presence, a la her half beta Z powers, and then going to Neelix and Neelix again, like just not caring. Like, did it feel like they didn't even know each other? <laughs> right? <laughs> right. He's like, oh, Kess, you and your feelings and your premonitions. Wait, is that burning? Ah, who cares? Because I'm getting bothered by this person I'm supposed to be in love with. Uh, does anyone buy this? I sure didn't. Right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to bring up some more Kess weirdness in a moment, but but continue, please. So, timestamp 1432, right after say uh, Harry says he's locked out of helm control. Why die, Janeway? Mm-hmm. Ad break close up. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So, Good. Thank you for putting the timestamp on. We that. do this so um, that you don't have to. Yeah. Also, <laughs> a new character that we didn't get to meet Doc Brown. Right? Doc Brown, lollipops, holocomics, um, maybe a DeLorean. Uh, that would be great if he had all of that. And, and seriously, though, what is a holocomic book? Because I would love to see one. Is that on a pad? Like, does it pop up on a pad like a hologram comic book? It might. You know? It could. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering if it was like an animated thing or does it look like, you know, photorealistic holograms the way that a holodeck does. All, all kinds of ideas. But yeah, like on a pad, that's that could be it. But only one pad per Exactly. Right? Yeah. It makes them valuable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you have paid attention to the running joke and if you didn't care. Okay, so this is where it all came from. So I put this in the observations and I told John I got to run with this. So Tuvok says to Tom in MedBay. I found traces of your DNA on the console. <laughs> and the entire time leading up to this point, Tom's like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not mine. That's not mine, baby. That's not my bag, baby. Oh, so, so good. It's, yeah. yeah. I, you, you can't unsee that now when you watch the episode. Oh, and, and uh, Tom being in sick bay and talking about Doc Brown. And, and he mentions Doc Brown making a big pot of uh, garlic soup. Um, and by the way, I don't know if this was uh, intentional or not. If you look in Neelix's kitchen, big old sleeve of garlic. Just hanging up in there. So you could, you could probably get Neelix to make that, and you wouldn't have to uh, distract him like Seska did to make the mushroom soup. You'd probably just say, hey, look at that. You got like 50 cloves of garlic right over there. Tom's a big fan of soups. He likes his tomato soup, hot, plain tomato soup, and garlic soup. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. totally. I, I, hey, I, I, I dig it. Uh, that is my bag, is uh, good garlic soup. All right, so Kess weirdness. Here we go. Uh, there, there's a scene. It's Janeway, Tuvok, Milana, Tom, and the EMH. They're all in sickbay. They're having this discussion to figure out what's going on. They, they finally kind of put their theory together about what's happening. They then step into the hallway, and Kess runs up and goes, Captain, I heard what's happened. How? <laughs> How? How, Kess? <laughs> you're, I understand that your powers are mysterious, but they were literally just in there figuring this out. Uh, uh, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that was a little sloppy writing. Yeah. So here's another thing that kind of, I mean, that was great. I'm going to try and follow up with something mm. just as uh, insightful. 
Okay, good. How is it that the warp core takes two hours from a cold startup? I mean, didn't Spock figure that out in the naked time? Oh, they needed 30 minutes. Yeah. You know, Scotty says, I can't change the laws of physics. Okay, you know what? All that aside, yeah. why is it always like the, the warp core was just shut down? Isn't there like, isn't it warm or, or slightly like more than warm? I mean, it just shut down. I mean, does all of the reaction just stop? You would think so because this is very hot. It yeah, is very right? hot. You know, yeah. I, I can't remember what it was. Um, uh, of course, you and the audience knows that I love old ships, old ocean liners, and I, I was watching something about this kind of golden period, uh, you know, Edwardian up through uh, the 30s, and they were talking about some of these engines, you know, that ran like the Queen Mary and the Queen Elizabeth and the Normandy, and they would take something like like a full day to warm up you know mm-hmm. like so once that ship is delivered and it's just like okay here you go here's your new ship like you want to fire that thing up at all to move under its own power you got to set aside an entire day right just to get those engines warmed right up. yeah pretty pretty amazing but then they weren't running off of warp cores so right i'm just wondering like okay you got coal and steam and combustion i get that but then you have yeah. like antimatter matter you know, reaction right. like in a presumably a magnetic bottle, and it's already many times the temperature of plasma. You know, yeah. I went like all of you smart people out there. Let us know. Come on, like two hours, really? I don't know. I'm just I'm no scientist. Yeah, you know, maybe we'll like yeah, you know, talk to Andre Bormanis or something like that. Right? Ah, uh, there yeah. we go. There we go. So at thirteen fifty hours is when the doctor figures out when uh, Tom and Bellana blacked out. For a minute and 47 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> There's our 47 yes, seconds did. reference. That's the way it works. Um, John, here's uh, a question for you, question for the audience mm-hmm. as well. Do you think it's a good idea to transfer your t- command codes to a hologram? No. Okay. No. Right. That, that's, yeah, well... I mean, he is, by their logic, he is the only trustable one there, but he is quite limited. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Also yeah, able to be good. shut down. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, now, I did. I, I like that scene in the conference room. I, I love Harry just starting to drift a little, you know, possessed by whatever consciousness is taking over for a moment. And then Tuvok just pulling a phaser yep. on him. Just, man, uh, Tuvok. Yeah. One of, one of those times, again, you need to check in with the captain before you act. And uh, I, I did wonder why it took everyone that long to figure out the injury to Kess was a Vulcan nerve pinch. Like, literally, they're in sickbay, and he says something about, oh, it's the trapezius. I'm like, oh, it's a Vulcan nerve pinch. Right. That was, that was on first viewing. Like, you would think the doctor, who knows everything in the combined uh, history of Starfleet Medical, but I digress. It's just something, you know, he was, he was so worried about. Mm-hmm. I think it was just still hurt about, you know, not being Doc Brown for Tom. He didn't know really how to handle mm-hmm. those feelings. Oh, maybe the command codes were confusing him because he's like, well, such yeah, a responsibility. Could be. Um, be. Vox wide phaser beam stun burst. I mean, that was like one of the coolest things mm-hmm. I've ever seen in Star Trek. Um, yeah. Is it written somewhere, uh, maybe in like a gene file that Vulcans get the coolest moves? Because seriously, <laughs> that is like one of the coolest things yeah. I've ever seen. 
It is a very underused thing. We did have it on DS9 once, uh, but I don't th- even think it looked as cool as this one. And I, I'm trying to think of one other. Maybe they use it in TNG once, but DS9 for sure. Um, by the way, could the uh, neurological entity that is Chakotay's consciousness floating around and, and is totally capable of rearranging stones um, and ejecting a warp core, could it, could it go to a computer terminal and type a mess like here's how you get out of this also avoid the other guy <laughs> you, you know just look i maybe i'm jumping ahead to act five come on now no. man come yeah. on uh-huh. uh always love seeing the mutara nebula plates the special oh, effects plates at, like an old friend right? yeah uh, just they, they are like if you really know wrath of Khan yeah. that well and we've seen that a million yeah. times uh, always nice to see yeah. okay so the magneton pulse like dropped everybody like as soon as it mm-hmm. even Tuvok it dropped everybody on the bridge except for Tom Tom like ran up to Tuvok disarmed him put the phaser on him <laughs> I was like dude Tom you're the real hero of this but that's not his bag baby it's not his bag <laughs> well well, Tom is very disarming oh <laughs> <laughs> Of course, the one time in the history of Star Trek that the warp core ejection system works, it's the one time you absolutely don't want it to work. We'll get right back to Cathexis after a word from this week's sponsors. Hey, John. What's up, Norm? You know what's not fair? I, I can think of so many things that are not fair, but I, I, bet, I bet you have something very specific in mind. Well, here's like the unfairest thing of all. The fact that streaming services hide thousands of shows and movies from you based on your location, and then they have the nerve to increase their prices on you. Ooh, that, that is some nerve right there. Right? Yeah. That's right. I mean, they raise their prices again and again. Now, you can just cancel your subscription in protest. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a little yeah. extreme, right? That is, yeah, yeah. Or you could be smart about it and make sure you're getting your full money's worth by using ExpressVPN like we do. That is what we do. Okay, so see, you may not know that what's on your streaming services in your country are completely different from what someone in uh, the UK or Japan or Germany or France has on theirs. Now, using ExpressVPN... I, you, we can control which country that I want any service to think I'm in. Now, ExpressVPN has over 90 countries to choose from. So every time I run out of stuff to watch, I just switch over to another country and unlock new shows. Services like Netflix, they have a ton of different options in different countries. But it's not just that. All right, here's one. Here's one. I love to use BBC iPlayer. It's free. And it's only available in the UK. You know what I was watching, by the way? So very recently, Hmm. it was the Queen's Jubilee. And to get the actual live stream, the full stream of the full event, you can only get that by using BBC iPlayer. I didn't want to wait around for like some, you know, hack uh, uh, to put a bunch bunch of stuff on YouTube and it not look good and sound good. So that was a good way to use it. Now, ExpressVPN is also super fast. It works on your phone, your laptop, even smart TVs, so you can watch your shows on the big screen with zero buffering. Do yourself a favor, people. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash mission log. Don't forget to use our link so you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. 
That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash mission log. ExpressVPN dot com slash mission log. Collide sends employees important, timely, and most importantly, relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices right inside Slack. Collide's perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. Instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. That sounds right. Yeah, don't don't frustrate employees. Why, what are you going to get out of that? You're Why would to, you want to do that? Yeah, you're yeah. just going to get a bunch of frustrated employees. Nobody wants that. Here's what you do. Visit collide.com slash mission log to sign up today. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash mission log. Enter your email when prompted and you receive your free Collide gift bundle after a trial activation. Now at Collide, they know that end users are IT admins most significant untapped resources and the key to solving the most challenging to fix security issues, including, drum roll please, instructing developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys. Or how about uh, finding plain text two-factor backup codes and teaching end users how to store them, you know, key phrase here, securely. And how about convincing employees to uninstall evil, evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history? And these are just some of the many used cases not solved by locking down devices. Collide enables cross-platform fleet visibility for your Linux, Mac, and Windows devices. So tap those untapped resources. Don't leave them untapped. No. Tap them. You can try Collide with all its features on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days. No credit card required. Try it out at collide.com slash mission log. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash mission log. All right, Norman, this this episode, I just felt like, oh, man, we're going to it's mind control. It's aliens that take over your mind and superimpose another brainwave. And then and they they do Is stuff. it mind bleepery. You like saying mind bleepery. Well, I do like mind bleepery. I have to say, look, I don't want to jump too far ahead. My mind wasn't necessarily bleeped by this episode, mm. <laughs> but but I, I do appreciate kind of this old school classic sci-fi trope like like a, an old school classic alien invasion thing so think about it you have missing time which is one of those elements when you talk about like abduction or these kind of very uh like pulp novel-esque stories of uh, what aliens do to people and then you blend that with a little bit of uh did you get agatha christie vibes off of this like kind of a whodunit and you're trying to figure out who the culprit is, and in this case, who is possessed. So the bad guy, or a good guy, we later learn, jumping from place to place. Um, I was actually getting a little yeah. bit more of kind of like the thing vibes, you know, uh, either the classic oh, thing or the okay. John Carpenter yeah, remake. Yeah, Just, yeah. You don't know, you're always you're always second-guessing the person that's sitting next to you, so you don't know if their head is going to tear away itself from its body and turn into a spider and then basically, you know, infect the rest of the people that you're with. We didn't get to that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> okay, I, I really yeah. wanted Voyager to commit yeah. to that. Maybe like Lieutenant New Guy could have been that person, but oh yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. they were going down. I think the right track of trying to create that type of an atmosphere, but it really has to be a more focused, tighter narrative in order to do that. In order to really just keep the people guessing, you know, from scene to scene to scene. And I, I think it's not quite there. 
Well, okay, well, that, that was going to be my question for you. And, and I apologize right up front to you and to our audience, because I feel like we're going to jump back and forth between this segment and our next segment yeah. of the kind of wrapping it all up, because that might speak to the thinness of, uh, of the, the ideas to contemplate here. But did they, for you, successfully hit that paranoid, suspicious mood they were going for? I, I think there are two scenes that I think play a little opposite of each other. I already mentioned how much I liked, mainly because of the cinematography mm-hmm. in the uh, briefing room scene, and of course, Tuvok's reaction pulling a phaser on Harry. I thought that was shot well, and I thought Janeway's reply to it all was very good. But I thought that the uh, the scene of the EMH and Neelix in sickbay was a little too on that. It, it's like telling you hey, we're doing a story about paranoia and suspicion. Hot, hot, I Instead tell you, of, hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of just letting the moment happen organically. I think that they underutilized or did not insert the lieutenant new guy nearly enough in this episode. Yeah. And I, I think that when you introduce a new character, there's always the assumption that this new character is going to affect the story in some way. Now, Brian Markison is an actor of that caliber. Mm-hmm. He walks in and you're like, attention's on him. You know, he doesn't even really yeah. need to do anything because he just has a certain demeanor behind him. Now, whether that is uh, an accurate description of his character without having any background content or context, that remains to be seen. But when you, again, have seven established characters and you insert new character number eight, obviously yeah. that character... You know, it rouses suspicion. And I think that they just didn't play that up enough. Well, that was kind of the problem with with Seska is that when all the attention went to Seska, all of a sudden, you didn't even have the chance to think, oh, it's not her. Like you didn't successfully build up the idea that she isn't the culprit there you know so in this we we went kind of the opposite and we have this new character thrown in but then they they didn't successfully build up any of that suspicion around anybody else it it just felt uh, a bit disjointed in that respect and i thought you know this is all that said this is a perfectly fine thing for the show to want to explore like we want to explore what happens if these people are together and they do start to grow suspicious of each other if circumstances force them to raise their level of paranoia but would that have been more effective if you do that years from now? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you catch up with them and they've been around each other so much. And whether it's something internal or external, there is this thing that absolutely ratchets that up to the point that, that they can't deal with it anymore. But, you know, th- this is one of those stories where you just kind of wrap it up with a bow once the aliens are gone. And you go, oh, okay, well, we weren't really being inappropriately suspicious after all. Now the aliens are gone. We just get right back to where we were we're fine you know it's almost too bad that they they didn't like take a look at what they could have done with kess's telepathic abilities i think that the further they the or i should say the closer they got to the dark matter nebula the more paranoid she became because her telepathic abilities would have been able to tune in with what chakotay was doing because chakotay did say Mm. that you know when the ship was more in range 
uh, of his bioneural energy, which was floating around in that dark matter nebula, he was able to affect the story that much uh, more. Like he was able to shut down the, or, you know, um, possess Balana and shut down the warp core and eject the warp core and, and do things that I think if you were more finely tuned like an antenna, like Kess, even if they were so far out from, you know, between, you know, where Voyager was and where the dark matter nebula is, she would have been able to pick up on that. And the signals would have like been a a little stranger for her to try and decipher. So she would have been paranoid the entire time. Like, what is this? What is happening? What are these signals that I'm picking Mm. up? And and why Mm. do I feel like it's something familiar yet strange at the same time? She wouldn't have made any sense to anybody. And that's how you drive that suspicion and paranoia into the appearances that she had. Like when she runs into Sigby and say, hey, I still feel these things. What are we going to do about it? Well, look, this is another one of those good places where, at least in some of the public areas of a starship, it would behoove you to have some security cameras. Mm. Because then then you can actually see what's happening. You see what these characters are doing. Um, But, you know, instead we have to wait for a DNA trace on a console. Let's talk about what's happening with uh, Chakotay during all of this. Because I, I think that is probably my biggest disconnect from this episode. I mean, I did say this earlier. I kind of made a joke that uh, Cathexis is Latin for Robert Beltran being on vacation. I really don't know if he was or not, but it obviously in Mm. the script, it's like, okay, Robert, lay there. Then everyone else is going to like make this episode (laughs) around you. But I found it interesting that um, between this episode and say emanations, there is, or at least there was, and when, when the Mm. the show was active, there was a desire to try and create stories around spirituality, to try and investigate, you know, what is the spiritual side of going further and further out into deep space? Because technicality aside, and say technicality meaning mm-hmm. like using technology in terms of uh, being able to identify every single thing uh, in every single permutation of an explanation, there are things that are still unknown. There are things that are still mm-hmm. unexplainable, this being one of them, even though that you know, again, disembodied aliens are not necessarily mm-hmm. spiritual, but it was interesting that they were trying to fit the spiritual side of the medicine wheel and how you're going to get Chakotay like back into his body or like, you know, Harry seeing the other side of the death equation, even though it's not, you know, he mm-hmm. wasn't coming from a supernatural part of the universe yeah. like back, you know, to the uh, Venori. So uh, they're almost there is what I'm trying to say in my own convoluted way. They're almost (laughs) there, but they don't quite commit to the depth of emotional context that these stories Mm. need. There's always some type of uh, um, almost an immaturity to the, you know, to their approach of let's not offend anybody by really digging deep into what this story really means let's make Mm. sure that Mm -hmm. let's make sure that we don't lose the audience that we have by being too controversial when it comes to spirituality yeah no i i can feel that for sure because the uh just having the medicine wheel and and it being at the end a a very kind of black and white technological answer to how do we get out of Mm -hmm. this it it creates a bit of a layer of separation between what actually is ascribed to his beliefs what actually is important emotionally spiritually to chakotay and then by extension balana and instead it just becomes a prop Mm -hmm. you know so yeah i i I get you there i think that's unfortunate because so far the only other thing that we've had is the medicine ball experience and again we talked about how that might have fallen short as well 
my my take on this is maybe a little bit different from yours. You know, Sam sent us, uh, or we had a very interesting conversation with Sam, uh, one of our listeners on Patreon and our Discord, where he was saying in emanations, you know, it, it wasn't a question of there's so much we don't know. It's that we don't know what we don't know. Therefore, you know, what we know is actually pretty cut and dried. It's like, okay, people die, their bodies decompose, they don't come back. That is what we know. So anything beyond that, we don't even know what it is that we don't know. Therefore, you can't make assumptions about it. Therefore, you can't even just propose like, oh, there there must be something. Well, you don't even know (laughs) that you don't know that there is something or not something. And and the thing that uh, sort of stuck in my craw about Chakotay's journey is that I have a very hard time accepting any sort of story where there's a sort of floating energy blob viewed through a fish-eyed lens that then becomes consciousness, you know, putting that in quotes and finger quotes here. And it just sort of goes from one place to another under its own volition and decides then what to do or how much it can do when it gets there. We saw it direct Bellana over to a computer terminal and then upside down remember mm-hmm. she's looking at it from the other side punch in some codes do something boom warp core is gone but then it also can't do other things so we just make up these rules about what it can and can't do and maybe i'm being entirely too much of a pragmatist here but to my understanding and to the best of our knowledge anything beyond it would be an unknown unknown is that consciousness is an emergent property of the brain it is the process of the brain and once you separate all that energy from chakotay's brain or yours or mine it has no agency it has no ability no sense or reason and it's sort of like i tried to come up with a metaphor and i don't think this one is even particularly very good but i'm going to go with it anyway it's sort of like dumping the contents of a car battery out on the asphalt and saying well that that's the car Right. <laughs> that and, uh, no, no, it isn't. Like, like it very much is not. So, I, I have a very hard time with stories like this where they're sort of inventing their way into the problem and then inventing their way out of the problem. And I, I feel like I just want one more little shred of something to hold on to, even if you just created a device that does this thing that that accounts for why this happened but instead we just have to sort of chalk it up to oh it's it's dark matter weirdness we miss a huge opportunity here or maybe the writers did this very well could have been you know how the naked now was the spiritual successor to the naked time Mm -hmm. yeah was this this that's a good way of saying remake remake but (laughs) yeah could this have been the spiritual successor could this have been the Voyager's version of Spock's brain, Chakotay's brain, mm, mm. right? Where you just try, you, you well, try and figure out like how, like Chakotay is just going to be kind of like this animated version of himself while you're trying to figure out like what happened to his bio neural activity. I don't think that's the worst connection to make, but the problem is for as derided as Spock's brain is when you get down to it, that was a show that actually, had some ideas hidden in all the silliness. You know, that that was a show then that actually does get to ask, do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one well before Wrath of Khan came along? And even in that, you could go like, okay, there's a technology we don't understand. 
here's exactly what the technology did brought this brain over here left us with this shell and again as silly as poorly handled as it might have been i feel like there was an internal consistency there that actually worked for me and in this one it just doesn't i guess i just uh, gave us our transition to the next segment Thank goodness for Chaco Day's medicine wheel. It would have been embarrassing if he had to plot the course of the nebula on a Where's Waldo poster. Well, we are here at the end of Cathexis, and much like we do with every other show, John, we take a look at the episode, then we boil down our thoughts and feelings, of which I'm pretty sure everyone kind of understands how we feel about this episode and then we're going to get into more of the more of the direct approach on our um our take our look at uh, does this episode hold up and then even further into the morals and meanings of messages and messages i should say if there mm. are any because that is what we do here on mission log that's our deep dive and sometimes much mm-hmm. like a, a forlorn treasure hunter comes sometimes they come up Empty-handed, sometimes they come up with treasure. How, yeah. did, we, how did we come up this time? Well, I'm, I'm going to pose some uh, questions to you and to the audience, um, and maybe you know the audience can just get back to us on this. Because I, you know, I started out asking myself, why did we open on the holodeck? And, uh, and then how long could Chakotay possibly live while on the shuttle after all of his neural energy was taken from him. And then then we got into the sickbay. Um, are medicine wheels usually magnetic? Are they usually suspended vertically like that? Uh, I don't know. And, and what do these aliens actually want? What do they do when they get all this neural energy that apparently has some cohesion and still some consciousness from the person that it was taken from? And, and why should we care? frankly, about what the aliens want or what happens after all of that. And by the way, how do you just reintegrate someone's consciousness? Um, There was an awful lot of hand-waving even by our very precise EMH about that. There are just too many distracting questions and problems with this episode. I think this is probably one where you can tell it was kind of reverse-engineered. Instead of an idea coming from the natural progression of the characters or the overall premise, it was one that started out like, hey, what if some aliens we can't see take over the minds of the crew? Okay, so then what? And and I feel like every Star Trek series, it has its episodes that have a very simple premise. Um, maybe they're heavier on action or intrigue than they are on character. But that's when you're really relying on some pillar filler mm-hmm. to make it work because that's what makes us care about the characters and what they're going through. And in this, we just don't. It's just plot. To get us from one place to another, which is essentially back where we started. Now, in its defense, I can say that I I think I get what Joe Minoski and Brandon Bragg and and more to the point Michael Pillar wanted, which is they wanted to ramp up the paranoia and suspicion among the crew, but it doesn't really go anywhere once we have that. It's just a couple of scenes and they talk themselves in and out of it. Uh, it, it, It's just an outside force acting on them, so then you forget it and you move on. And that is exactly what I need to do with this episode. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that, that is my oh snap moment. So, what about you? Are you gonna are you gonna turn me around? Are you gonna be like, no, John, you got it completely wrong. Here's why this episode rules. Well, I mean, I think I'm gonna look at it just from a, a, a different angle. You know, much okay. like a disembodied spirit like looks through the telescoping <laughs> lens of a fisheye camera and sure, you know, uh, sure, possesses somebody. I'm gonna possess all of your minds out there. Nice with this idea. I think that actually. <laughs> This is a better version of kind of like the whodunit episode compared to say like ex post facto, in my opinion. You know, if you're mm. gonna if you're gonna have two of those similar types of stories, I like this story better. Mm. I like it because they have the right idea. You have this alien presence that's jumping from body to body to body, causing this paranoia, causing this suspicion, causing kind of like the claustrophobia of being on a ship. Again, very much like what I mentioned before, uh, like a movie like The Thing, you know, where mm-hmm. people are just turning on each other like on a dime because, hey, alien, you're bad. You know, I have phasers. Good, right? And no other explanation aside from that. Now, I like the fact that we saw the captain indulge in recreational activities, although... Like you said, John, I agree with you. Are we going to start with another holodeck story? Kind of, right. you know, setting a, a precedent that maybe not doesn't need to be set. Now, I actually th- thought that Kate was really good in the hollow novel scene. If it weren't part of this episode, I was like, hey, look, she's like on a Hall- Hallmark or Harlequin romance show. And she's really good. <laughs> right. So that's just, you know, uh, her quality of an actor that, that she is. Um it's just a. I like that there's role play on board the ship. I, you know, when you're mm. when you're inside this basically this you know confined tin can, it's kind of like being in an office building. You see everyone every day, same routine, same mannerism, same hello, same goodbye. You know, same the sun's going to come through my windows at this time. It's going to go down. You know, towards the end of the day. There's a lot of routine involved in you know, someone's daily life, and being able to invest yourself in a game or recreation or distraction is important. And I like that. I like that it's represented in here. Mm-hmm. Maybe too much, maybe too often, but it, I like that it's in there. I, I think that – I said this before. I think that going into an episode like this, you have to go down a certain story. You have to commit to a certain level of, of um, appealing to the audience's intelligence. And – it just feels like all of these episodes that could have been better are purposefully made this way so they don't upset anybody, that they mm. aren't controversial. Mm. That, mm-hmm. And maybe I'm speaking completely out of turn because I have absolutely zero data or facts to substantiate what I'm about to say next. But I do believe that at the time that Voyager was launched, you had Deep Space Nine was – and and they were kind of like in rocky standing, you know, with the ratings and with the audience. Now they yeah. launched Voyager to try and recapture the next generation audience that is obviously still watching syndicated next generation. Yeah. And they don't want to upset that audience that they may have lost from Deep Space Nine. So let's keep everything very vanilla, very bland, very neutral, very you know, unassuming, very non-aggressive, very plain with a Mm. little bit of personality. That's now this new show. That's how I feel about these episodes. It's not that they're terrible. It's just that they're forgettable. Yeah. But I think that's worse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, than than being terrible. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you, you brought up the infamous Spock's brain, and that, that's the problem. That show is not forgettable, mm-hmm. partly because they really went for it. They did this outrageous premise, but then they also, within that, had interesting conversations and interesting dialogue and at least a a concept you could sort of sink your teeth into and this is just look in that same vein create a problem so you can solve the problem and then get out in 48 minutes yeah that so was spock's brain but somehow with this one you you just end up with a whole lot of nothing there at the end and and it does ultimately play as forgettable and there isn't really a thoughtful thing to to hang your hat on at the end. There, there's not a there's not a premise you can go. Oh wow! Look, for all of its faults, it challenged me in this way, or it made me think about things in this other way. There's no one scene here that does that, and therefore. I, I come up very empty at the end, you know, uh, when we look at morals, meanings, messages. I, I had to say that there isn't one here. It, it's a mystery show where, you know, the aliens infesting our crew are the mystery. But but even then, I feel like there wasn't an attempt to dig deeper or, or to let any of those offense really affect or, more importantly, reveal anything about our characters. Like, We've mentioned it already in the previous 12 episodes of Voyager that there are times when the plot almost feels like the background because what you're getting is these moments that really reveal something about the character or about the relationships. And they start off with a bang with a caretaker and you just almost immediately, you know who these people are, you know how they relate to each other. And then in the episodes after that, there's a really conscious effort to make sure that Janeway gets her time with Milana. Janeway gets her, you know, there is a certain sympathy and care about Harry Kim. There is her relationship with Tuvok, which is deep and friendly, but at the same time, she can put him in his place. You know, those are the moments that really stand out, regardless of the plot. This one has neither. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just fails in those ways. So... Unfortunately, I don't see anything uh, worthy of a moral meaning message here. Uh, what about you? No, I agree with you. And I watched this almost up to four times. You know, this is what we do yeah. for Same. You know, for all of you, Same. for all of you out there, yeah. uh, and especially yeah. for our Mission Log mission. You know, we look for the signature M's. And not once in, in all of that viewing did I feel that there was even the hint of a raised flag of a moral or a meaning or a message. And that's unfortunate. And I think that... You're right, John. It's like, you know, we're into, we only have a few more episodes left before we close out season one, because this was a short season. The premise of Caretaker itself lends to a serialized series of which this is not. And I think that that's where we're really missing the opportunity here or where they missed the opportunity in creating this series, because every episode of this journey back home should build on top of each other. Now, it doesn't have to be every single episode, but you're right, the the underlying story of Voyager trying to make it home seems to be a forgotten idea yeah. from episode to episode. And I think that it's unfortunate because it's a great idea. 
Mm-hmm. It's just not navigated well in terms of where the progression no, no, of... No pun intended. Thank you very much. <laughs> that's, not my, that's not my bag, baby. <laughs> but, you know, in terms of building and ramping up the tension of what we have learned previously to where we were going next, and then, you know, wash, rinse, and repeat. So, unfortunately, yeah, yeah there's nothing really here that's substantial that makes us say, hey... You know, Timmy, because there are those moments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's the bonk bonk moments. And then there's the Bella and Lokai, like basically yeah. grabbing your lapels through the TV, uh, you know, and yeah. shaking you and say like, hey, this is the moral. Figure yeah. this out because things are bad. Bad things are going to happen mm-hmm. if you don't actually change the way you are humanity. Right. Now, not every single episode has to be at that level of intensity, but there should be something. There should be something that at least we can sink our teeth into at the end of this episode between the two of us and the audience out there and say, hey, you know what? We have something to talk about. This has none of that. And it's unfortunate, too, because there's always, usually, there's a lot of rough. There's Mm -hmm. a diamond, though. There's Mm -hmm. no diamond in this rough. (laughs) Unfortunately, the, the, the worst, the biggest criticism I can say about this particular episode is that it's common. Yeah. It's yeah. common and forgettable, and Star Trek should never be forgettable. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our webpage is missionlogpodcast.com, and for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Faces. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. It's a good thing they have disco lights on the bridge for occasions like these. They're much safer than flamethrowers. transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.